Chapter Four of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter Four: The Fair Green of Palmerstown there were half a dozen carriages and a score of led horses outside the fair green a precious lot of ragamuffins and a good resort to the public-house opposite and the gate being open the artillery band rousing all the echoes round with harmonious and exhilarating thunder within an occasional crack of a brown bess with a puff of white smoke over the hedge being heard and the cheers of the spectators and sometimes a jolly chorus of many-toned laughter all mixed together and carried on with a pleasant running hum of voices mervyn the stranger reckoning on being unobserved in the crowd and weary of the very solitude he courted turned to his right and so found himself upon the renowned fair green of palmerstown it was really a gay rural sight the circular target stood with its bright concentric rings in conspicuous isolation about a hundred yards away against the green slope of the hill the competitors in their best sunday suits some armed with muskets and some with fowling pieces for they were not particular and with bunches of ribbons fluttering in their three-cornered hats and sprigs of gay flowers in their breasts stood in the foreground in an irregular cluster while the spectators in pleasant disorder formed two broad and many-coloured parterres broken into little groups and separated by a wide clear sweep of green sward running up from the marksman to the target in the luminous atmosphere the men of those days showed bright and gay such fine scarlet and gold waistcoats such sky-blue and silver such pea-green lute-strings and pink silk linings and flashing buckles and courtly wigs or becoming powder went pleasantly with a brilliant costume of the stately dames and smiling lassies there was a pretty sprinkling of uniforms too the whole picture of gentle motion and the bugles and drums of the royal irish artillery filling the air with inspiring music all the neighbors were there merry little dr tool in his grandest wig and gold-headed cane with three dogs at his heels he seldom appeared without this sort of train sometimes three sometimes five sometimes as many as seven and his hearty voice was heard bawling at them by name as he sauntered through the town of a morning and theirs occasionally in short screeches responsive to the touch of his cane now it was fairy you savage let that pig alone a yell and a scuffle juno drop it you slut or caesar you blackguard where are you going look at stirk there with his lordship said tool to the fair magnolia with a wink and a nod and a sneering grin good-natured dog that <laughs> you'll find he'll oust nutter at last and get the agency that's what he's driving at always undermining somebody 
dr sterk and lord castle mallard were talking apart on the high ground and the artillery surgeon was pointing with his cane at distant objects a lay of fifty he's picking holes in nutter's management this moment i'm afraid there was some truth in the theory and Toole, though he did not remember to mention it had an instinctive notion that sterk had an eye upon the civil practice of the neighbourhood and was mediating a retirement from the army and a serious invasion of his domain sterk and Toole, behind backs did not spare one another Toole called sterk a horse doctor and the smuggler in reference to some affair about french brandy never made quite clear to me but in which i believe sterk was really not to blame and sterk called him that drunken little apothecary for Toole had a boy who compounded under the rose his draughts pills and powders in the back parlour and sometimes that smutty little ballad singer or that whiskey-fied dog fancier Toole. there was no actual quarrel however they met freely told one another the news their mutual disagreeabilities were administered guardedly and on the whole they hated one another in a neighbourly way fat short radiant general chatsworth in full artillery uniform was there smiling and making little speeches to the ladies and bowing stiffly from his hips upward his great queue playing all the time up and down his back and sometimes so near the ground when he stood erect and threw back his head that Toole, seeing Juno eyeing the appendage rather viciously, thought it prudent to cut her speculations short with a smart kick. His sister Rebecca, tall, erect, with grand lace, in a splendid stiff brocade, and with a fine fan, was certainly five-and-fifty, but still wonderfully fresh, and sometimes had quite a pretty little pink colour, perfectly genuine in her cheeks command sat in her eye and energy on her lip but though it was imperious and restless there was something provokingly likable and even pleasant in her face her niece gertrude the general's daughter was also tall graceful and i am told perfectly handsome be the powers she's mighty handsome observed lieutenant fireworker o'flaherty who being a little stupid did not remember that such a remark was not likely to pleasure the charming magnolia mcnamara to whom he had transferred the adoration of a passionate but somewhat battered heart they must not see with my eyes that think so said mag with a disdainful toss of her head they say she's not twenty but i'll wager a pipe of claret she's something to the back of it said o'flaherty mending his hand why bless your innocence she'll never see five-and-twenty and a bit to spare sniggered miss mag who might more truly have told the tale of herself who's that pretty young man my lord castle mallard is introducing to her and old chatsworth the commendation was a shot at poor old flaherty hey so my lord knows him says Toole, very much interested why that's mr mervyn that's stopping at the phoenix a mervyn i saw it on his dressing-case see how he smiles ay she simpers like a fermity kettle said scornful miss mag 
they're very grand today the chatworths with them their two livery men behind them threw in o'flaherty accommodating his remarks to the spirit of his lady love that young buck's a man of consequence tool rattled on miss does not smile on everybody ay she looks as if butter would not melt in her mouth but i warrant cheese won't choke her magnolia laughed out with angry eyes magnolia's fat and highly painted parent poor bragging good-natured cunning foolish mrs mcnamara the widow joined with a venomous wheeze in the laugh those who suppose that all this rancor was produced by mere feminine emulations and jealousy do these ladies of the ancient sept mcnamara foul wrong mrs mac on the contrary had a fat and genial soul of her own and magnolia was by no means a particularly ungenerous rival in the lists of love but aunt rebecca was hoity-toity upon the mcnamaras whom she would never consent to more than half know seeing them with difficulty often failing to see them together though magnolia's stature and activity did not always render that easy to-day for instance when the firing was brisk and some of the ladies uttered pretty little timid squalls miss mcnamara not only stood fire like brick but with her own fair hands cracked off a firelock and was more complimented and applauded than all the marksmen beside although she shot most dangerously wide and was much nearer hitting old arthur's slow than that respectable gentleman who waved his hat and smirked gallantly was it all aware aunt rebecca notwithstanding all this and although she looked straight at her from a distance of only ten steps yet she could not see that large and highly coloured heroine and magnolia was so incensed at her serene impertinence that when gertrude afterwards smiled and curtsied twice she only held her head the higher and flung a flashing defiance from her fine eyes right at that unoffending virgin everybody knew that miss rebecca chatsworth ruled supreme at belmont with a docile old general and a niece so young she had less resistance to encounter than perhaps her ardent soul would have relished fortunately for the general it was only now and then that aunt becky took a whim to command the royal irish artillery she had other hobbies just as odd though not quite so scandalous it had struck her active mind that such of the ancient women of chapel isid as were destitute of letters mendicants and the like should learn to read twice a week her old woman's school under the energetic lady's presidency brought together its muster-roll of rheumatism paralysis dim eyes bothered ears and invincible stupidity over the fireplace in large black letters was the legend better late than never and out came the horn-books and spectacles and to it they went with their a b a b etc and plenty of wheezing and coughing aunt becky kept good fires and served out a mess of bread and broth along with some pungent ethics to each of her hopeful old girls in winter she further encouraged them with a flannel petticoat apiece 
and there was besides a monthly dole so that although after a year there was perhaps on the whole no progress in learning the affair wore a tolerably encouraging aspect for the academy had increased in numbers and two old fellows liking the notion of the broth and the sixpence a month one a barber will potts ruined by a shake in his right hand the other a drunken pensioner phil doolan with a wooden leg petitioned to be enrolled and were accordingly admitted then aunt becky visited the jails and had a knack of picking up the worst characters there and had generally two or three discharged felons on her hands some people said she was a bit of a voltarian but unjustly for though she now and then came out with a bouncing social paradox she was a good bitter churchwoman so she was liberal and troublesome off-handed and dictatorial not without good nature but administering her benevolences somewhat tyrannically and for the most part doing more or less of positive mischief in the process and now the general old chadsworth as the scornful magnolia called him drew near with his benevolent smirk and his stiff bows and all his good-natured formalities for the general had no notion of ignoring his good friend and officer major o'neill or his sister or niece and so he made up to mrs mcnamara who arrested a narrative in which he was demonstrating to o'flaherty the general's lineal descent from old chatsworth an army tailor in queen anne's time and his cousinship to a live butter dealer in cork and spicing her little history with not a nice epigram on his uncle the counsellor by dr swift which he delivered with a vicious chuckle in the fireworker's ear who also laughed though he did not quite see the joke and said oh ho, ho, murder the good mrs mac received the general haughtily and slightly and miss magnolia with a short courtesy and a little toss of her head and up went her fan and she giggled something in tool's ear who grinned and glanced uneasily out of the corner of his shrewd little eye at the unsuspicious general and on to aunt rebecca for it was very important to dr tool to stand well at belmont so seeing that miss mag was disposed to be vicious and not caring to be compromised by her tricks he whistled and bawled to his dogs and with a jolly smirk and flourish of his cocked hat off he went to seek other adventures thus was there feud and malice between two houses and aunt rebecca's wrong-headed freak of cutting the mcnamaras for it was not snobbery and she could talk for hours on band days publicly and familiarly with scrubby little mrs toole involved her innocent relations in scorn and ill-will for this sort of offence like chinese treason is not visited on the arch-offender only but according to a scale of consanguinity upon his kith and kin the criminal is minced his sons lashed his nephews reduced to cutlets his cousins to joints and so on none of the family quite escapes 
and seeing the bitter reprisals provoked by this kind of uncharity fiercer and more enduring by much than any begotten of more tangible wrongs christian people who pray lead us not into temptation and repeat blessed are the peacemakers will on the whole do wisely to forbear practising it as handsome slender captain devereux with his dark face and great strange earnest eyes and that look of intelligence so racy and peculiar that gave him a sort of enigmatical interest stepped into the fair green the dark blue glance of poor nan glenn of palmerstown from under her red sunday riding hood followed the tall dashing graceful apparition with a stolen glance of wild loyalty and admiration poor nan with thy fun and thy rascalities thy strong affections and thy fatal gift of beauty where does thy head rest now handsome captain devereux gypsy devereux as they called him for his clear dark complexion was talking a few minutes later to lilius walsingham oh pretty lilius oh true lady i never saw the pleasant crayon sketch that my mother used to speak of but the tradition of thee has come to me so bright and tender with its rose and violet tints and merry melancholy dimples that i see thee now as then with the dew of thy youth still on thee and sigh as i look as if on a lost early love of mine i am out of conceit with myself he said i'm so idle and useless i wish that were all i wish myself better but i'm such a weak coxcomb a father confessor might keep me nearer to my duty someone to scold and exhort me perhaps if some charitable lady would take me in hand something might be made of me still there was a vein of seriousness in this reverie which amused the young lady for she had never heard anything worse of him very young ladies seldom do hear the worst than that he had played once or twice rather high shall i ask gertrude chatsworth to speak to her aunt rebecca said lilius slyly suppose you attend her school in martin's row with better late than never over her chimney-piece there are two pupils of your own sex you know and you might sit on the bench with poor potts and good old doolan thank you miss lilius he answered with a bow and a little laugh as it seemed just the least bit in the world piqued i know she would do it zealously but neither so well nor so wisely as others might i wish i dare ask you to lecture me i said the young lady oh yes i forgot she went on merrily five years ago when i was a little girl you once called me dr walsingham's curate i was so grave do you remember she did not know how much obliged devereux was to her for remembering that poor little joke and how much the handsome lieutenant would have given at that instant to kiss the hand of the grave little girl of five years ago 
i was a more impudent fellow then he said than i am now won't you forget my old impertinences and allow me to make atonement and be your your very humble servant now she laughed not my servant but you know i can't help you being my parishioner and as such surely i may plead in humble right to your counsels and reproof yes you shall lecture me i'll bear it from none but you and the more you do it the happier at least you make me he said alas if my censure is pleasant to you tis a certain sign it can do you no good it shall do me good and it be never so bitter and so true it will be pleasant to me too he answered with an honest and very peculiar light in his dark strange eyes and after a little pause i'll tell you why just because i had rather you remembered my faults than that you did not remember me at all but tis not my business to make people angry more likely you should make me sad or perhaps happy that is to say better i think you'd like to see your parish improve so i would but by means of my example not my preaching no i leave that to wiser heads to the rector for instance and she drew closer to the dear old man with a quick fond glance of such proud affection for she thought the sun never shone upon his like as made Devereux sigh a little unconscious sigh the old man did not hear her he was too absorbed in his talk he only felt the pressure of his darling's little hand and returned it after his wont with a gentle squeeze of his cassocked arm while he continued the learned essay he was addressing to young queer erudite simple dan loftus on the descent of the desi branch of the desmonds there was by the by a rumour i know not how true that these two sages were concocting between them beside their folios on the castle of chapel is it an interminable history of ireland Devereux was secretly chafed at the sort of invisible but insufferable resistance which pretty lilius walsingham as it seemed unconsciously opposed to his approaches to a nearer and tenderer sort of trifling the little siren there are air-drawn circles round her which i cannot pass and why should i how is it that she interests me and yet repels me so easily and when i came here first he continued aloud you were oh dear how mere a child hardly eleven years old how long i've known you miss lilius and yet how formal you are with me there was reproach almost fierce in his eye though his tones were low and gentle well he said with an odd changed little laugh you did commit yourself at first you spoke against card-playing and i tell you frankly i mean to play a great deal more and a great deal higher than i've ever done before and so adieu he did not choose to see the little motion which indicated that she was going to shake hands with him and only bowed the lower and answered her grave smile 
which seemed to say, Now you are vexed, with another little laugh, and turned gaily away, and so was gone. She thinks she has wounded me, and she thinks, I suppose, that I can't be happy away from her. I'll let her see I can. I shan't speak to her. No, nor look at her for a month. The Chatsworths, by this time, as well as others, were moving away, and that young Mr. Mervyn, more remarked upon than he suspected, walked with them to the gate of the fair green. As he passed, he bowed low to good Parson Walsingham, who returned his salute, not unkindly, that never was, but very gravely, and with his gentle and thoughtful blue eyes followed the party sadly on their way. Ay, there he goes, Mervyn. Well, so, so, pray heaven, sorrow and a blight follow him not into this place. The rector murmured to himself, and sighed, still following him with his glance. Little Lilius, with her hand within his arm, wondered, as she glanced upward into that beloved face, what could have darkened it with a look so sad and anxious? And then her eyes also followed the retreating figure of the pale young man, with a sort of interest, not quite unmixed with uneasiness. End of chapter 4 Recording by John Brandon